If you can imagine the things that you'd like to say to your loved ones before your time is up, can you also imagine the weight of Jesus' words to his disciples, to his followers before he ascended? Jesus opened the disciples' minds and hearts to understand what continued to elude them. Jesus showed them once more that he fulfilled and embodied God's plan to restore and to make all things new and that his followers were participants in that plan. How many of you love a good underdog story? How many of you love the movie Rocky or Rudy or The Karate Kid or Hoosiers or Cool Runnings? How many of you remember the miracle on ice during the 1980 Winter Olympics? I think most of us like a good underdog story until it's our team that gets upended by the underdogs. Well, the Bible is an underdog story. It's easy to forget that because Christianity is the largest religion in the world today. And for us, it's easy to forget in the United States of America because we have a whole lot of Christians here and there are laws protecting the free expression of religion. And in that vein, it's easy for us to forget that the main characters in the stories that we read on the pages of the Bible were not part of the dominant world superpowers. Sure, in Israel's history, there were kings like Saul and David and Solomon, and they were successful and they were powerful in the ancient Near East. But that's a really short period of time in Israel's history. Besides that, the ancient, uh, the ancient nation of Israel, which eventually split into two, to Israel and Judah, it wasn't a world superpower. Israel and Judah weren't empires, nor were they part of the dominant cultures of those empires. What's the point? What am I getting at? We see the people on these pages in this book, in the Bible, may have been heroic in their own culture, but most of them were far from that in the eyes of the great empires of that time. God had a vision for this world that was far different than what the world empires had created. The Egyptian Empire, the Assyrian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire, the Seleucid Empire, the Ptolemaic Empire, and the Roman Empire. These were the great empires that dominated and influenced the Near Eastern world throughout the pages of our Bible. Israel and Judah were on a small tract of land that bordered the Mediterranean Sea, where ships could go from east to west and go through the ports. And they were also on this major trade route between the north and the south. See, the characters in these stories of Israel and Judah weren't just underdogs within their culture and their times. At points, they were oppressed. Beginning with Abraham, they were a small family with humble beginnings. They became a small tribe overcome by drought and famine, and they sought relief in a foreign land and then became slaves. But then they were freed slaves. But then they became wanderers. And then they became conquerors for a short time. But then they had civil war. And then they were conquered. And then they were exiled. But they returned to their homeland only to be occupied and subjected to more empires. In a reduced and simplified historical overview, this was the backdrop for the writing of these scriptures that we have. It wasn't written by the winners of the times. It was, it was written by the oppressed. And yet the story lives on. Why is that? Because there's so much resonance with the poetry of both joy and despair in the Psalms and in the writings of those who are in exile. 
There is resonance with the philosophy of Ecclesiastes and the romance of the Song of Songs. There is resonance with the voices of the prophets speaking truth to oppressive power brokers. There is resonance with the story of God's deliverance of the Hebrew people out of slavery and oppression in the Egyptian empire and into freedom into the promised land. When I came to grips with the historical reality underneath the pages of the Bible, it changed the way that I read this book. This book is a book of hope for those who live without it. And this book is also a book of warning to those who use their power and privilege to oppress. This book is an invitation into a relationship with God. As Christians, we believe that God was revealed in Jesus Christ. God's invitation is given both to the oppressed and the oppressor. Jesus is the one who sets us free from our oppression and from our oppressive natures. This is what Jesus came to do, and this is what shapes the way we read the Bible. Jesus was born into this Jewish world of the first century, nationally, culturally, and religiously. This was his context. He was born at the time of the Roman Empire occupying the land of Israel. The world and the story Jesus entered was one of both past and present oppression. That impacted every aspect of life for him and the people of first century Israel. At the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, he made a bold declaration about what he came to do here on this earth. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 16, says this, When Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and let the oppressed go free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now we could let these words speak for themselves and they would have tremendous meaning and power. But as you often find with Jesus, there's a story within the story and there are words to be read between the lines. And that's exactly what's going on here. See, Jesus read from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. And if you read that passage from Isaiah, you'll notice that Jesus stopped short of completing the phrase in verse 2. Let's look at that. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Why did Jesus stop short of talking about the day of vengeance of God? Well, instead of focusing on vengeance and retribution, it appears that Jesus was focusing on the larger themes of the whole book of Isaiah, that Israel would be the light to the nation, bringing God's love and mercy to those around them. That's what Jesus was saying about the context of Israel at that time. There would be favor, but no vengeance. By the way, Jesus is not talking about a calendar year here when he says the year of the Lord's favor. He's talking about the, the arrival of a new messianic age, an age of deliverance. So let's go back to the ascension story in Jesus' parting words. Beginning in verse 44, Jesus says the following. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses 
the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in Jesus' name to all nations. Oftentimes, we tend to think of these concepts of repentance and forgiveness in an individual sense. Well, it's true that Jesus did call individual people to repent, to turn from their self-centered pursuits. It's also true that Jesus extended forgiveness to individuals who caused harm through their self-centered pursuits. But it's especially, it's especially important to note that grace was present and extended and forgiveness offered prior to any repentance. Some of us are filled with shame and regret because of our actions. Jesus forgives and Jesus invites us to follow a new path. There are some who feel like they don't belong, but Jesus opens up the door for all to come in and receive the embrace and acceptance that's been denied to them. The United Methodist Church has a slogan, open minds, open hearts, open doors. That spirit of openness and inclusivity is alive and well in this congregation. And may that heart continue to swell as Jesus opens the eyes and hearts, uh, our hearts to see what he sees. May we see what Jesus sees. In the collective and corporate sense, we need to remember that our scriptures serve as a warning and a call to repentance for those who use their power to oppress. We have to continually take stock of our actions in the systems in which we participate. We have to ask ourselves questions like, who is continually poor? Who is unjustly held captive? Who is constantly oppressed? Whose life is being diminished by the things in which I benefit? We work for justice because we are empowered with the same spirit that empowered Jesus. The 16th century reformer Martin Luther said that all of life is repentance. We don't beat ourselves up uh, and wallow in self-pity because of our implicit and complicit actions of self-centeredness, but we continually examine our hearts and lives. We continually ask the question, how do my actions help me love my neighbor as myself? We must allow Jesus to open our minds to understand and the eyes of our hearts to be open to see the world as Jesus does. And we cannot do this on our own. We need the Spirit of God, the one Jesus promised would come to fill us and empower us in the same way that Jesus was empowered. Just as the disciples were commissioned by Jesus to witness to this good news of forgiveness and freedom by way of repentance, so we are commissioned. Just as Jesus blessed the disciples as he ascended, so he blesses us, reminding us that we are never alone and we are forever loved. The ascension reminds us that Jesus has a plan for us, May the eyes of our hearts be open to see what Jesus sees and love as Jesus loves. Receive the blessing that Jesus gives to you 
because it is transforming. And may you extend that blessing to others in concrete ways as you are empowered by the Spirit. Even though we are not gathered as a church in the same space, how might we be the church, the body of Christ in our community and in our world this week? May the eyes of our hearts be opened to see what Jesus sees and love as Jesus loves. Amen.